Out of honor of the word of the Lord, would you stand with me, please? I want to read one verse of scripture to you. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11. <clears throat> Hope you can spend the day with us. We'll have a good time out here in the grass. God's given us wonderful weather, so it'll be a nice day. Bring the young'uns and, and uh, we'll break some bread together and light up the sky tonight. It'll just be a good day. It'll be a good day. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. No razor come upon his head. Lord of hosts, I want to teach you something called Jehovah Sabot. Jehovah Sabot. All right? If you have a good attitude, you can sit down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Living in Michigan, I, uh, I, I really feel blessed to enjoy the changing of the seasons. I, I, I suppose nobody enjoys spring more than uh, people from Michigan. Um, I tell some of my friends in Florida, Michigan's going in the rapture first, and uh, <clears throat> they don't understand what I said. The Bible said he's coming in the clouds. We have a lot of cloudy days in Michigan, so I think we might go first. And of course, in just a few weeks, the greatest artist of all time is going to walk through these forests and paint one tree yellow and another one purple and one orange and magenta and the, 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 the fall display here is magnificent. Uh, February, that's another subject. Um, it's the shortest month of the year, but uh, to me, it's the longest month of the year. And um, So I usually, if I can, I try and get out of here for a couple of days. I usually go to Mexico. And... Uh, I've been a lot of places over the years. I've flown over two million miles and I've been in a lot of places. But um, I ended up on this little island several years ago called um, Cozumel and I enjoy going there. Um, It's it's not expensive and I love the people and the food's good and, and I never ever... Once we lived in Okinawa, I, I never lost my fascination for the ocean. And um, I was bored, however, one time. And uh, so I took a day trip to uh, the Yucatan Peninsula to a place called Chichen Itza. Um, it is, um, it's, it's a very special place. I'm sure Brian's got a picture of it here for me. You can't, I used to climb up on there. I took Renee up there, oh, she hates, she was terrified. It was uh, much steeper than it looks. There was a lady, she said, do you understand what you're looking at? And I said, uh, no, I, I guess I don't. It, it looks like uh, just some very excellent masonry work. But the truth is, if you know how to read this, the shadows will tell you year it is, what month it is, what day it is, even what time of the day it is because of the shadows as they move. These were not a bunch of knuckle-dragon Neanderthals and just a bunch of, Bible talks about men of renown. And um, I, I remember uh, I, I was on the road for many years and my wife lived in um, St. Louis, and um, long before Elon Musk had a self-driving Tesla, <laughs> I, I could drive from St. Louis to West Virginia and not even remember. It was like I was on autopilot. I, I, drove, I drove Interstate 70 so many times. If you've ever been down there and you're going west, before you cross the bridge, 
to get into Missouri. There's this place called Cahokia, Illinois. And if you like this kind of stuff, some people enjoy it, some people don't. You want an interesting trip, spend a day in Cahokia, Illinois. It is the what's left of a massive settlement of whatever you call them, Indians, Native Americans. We're not talking some little... <clears throat> I'm talking about something massive, something huge. And I found this book by this guy named Charles Mann. It's called 1491. It is, um, I don't, I've read this book a lot of times. And Mann describes the native peoples of North and South America prior to 1492, which of course is, when they said Columbus showed up. When I walked around Cahokia, Illinois, I had the same feeling that I did when I walked around what was left of Chichen Itza. Just this interrogative, this question said, what happened to all these people? Where'd they go? And um, man talks about going down Amazon River and he was with several friends. One of them was a botanist. Uh, they were having lunch. And his friend said, look at what you're leaning against. Yep, it's a tree. He said, no, 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 it's not just any tree. That tree's not native to this area. So they began to look around. And in very precise locations, they kept finding these trees. So they took off for a walk, 100 yards, 500 yards, 1,000 yards. They walked almost a mile. And to the amazement of this botanist, here's these trees. And he told Charles Mann, he said, they were planted. These trees don't belong here. And on a whim, he started digging around the roots of one of these trees and found broken pottery shards. So they started digging in others and it was the same thing in the root ball of every one of them trees. Somebody, a long time ago, had dug a hole, put broken pottery in there and planted these trees. And yet there was no one there. They were all gone. What happened to all these people? The simple answer is virus, virus. If you look at old paintings of Europe, early, you know, 13th century, 12th century, very common for these people to share space with their animals, <laughs> especially in the wintertime. So, when conquistadors and others came from Europe, there weren't any cows here. There weren't any sheep. There was no goats. There were no horses. And there were no pigs. And when they brought these animals here, they brought with them a deadly cocktail of diseases. Smallpox, measles, typhoid, cholera. It just decimated these people. Well over 90% of these people were killed with these things that they had no immunity against. And uh, it was because of these animals that people brought from Europe. Have you ever been to Haiti? Is there anybody in this room that's ever been to Haiti? You ever go to Haiti? Um, you, you've heard the phrase a third world country. Um, Haiti is considered by many people a fifth world country. It's the same island. It's pretty fascinating. Half of the island is the Dominican Republic. And it's beautiful. There's beautiful houses and good government and 
You go to the other side of the island and it's like the armpit of the world. When Haiti declared their independence from the French, they made their official religion voodoo and said, we'll serve Satan. Someone gave me a book recently about something called the hyena, the spirit of the hyena. It was a good read. I think it may have been Mindy Adams. If you've ever watched hyenas, they're just thieves. <laughs> they, they, they let the lions and others do the killing, and then they come in later and they swipe stuff. It's a great analogy of the enemy of our soul. He, he's a hyena. I would say when he comes, he comes to steal, destroy. And uh, I, I, I was in Bolivia one time. And in Bolivia, there is a, a part of that country that's known as the Beni. And in, in the Beni are a group of people known as the Syrianos. They are, I, I guess, you're, you're talking about the backwater of all backwaters. And there were thousands of Syrianos at one time. But now there's less than 150 of them. It creates something. Um, they're known as the clubfoot people. Because a Syriano is 40 times more likely to have club feet than other people in the world. And the reason is intermarriage. The Amish have something known as rumspringa. When you're 16, you can leave. And let's say you go sow your wild oats, get it out of your system, and uh, hopefully come back. If you don't come back, the Amish cut you off. You're dead to them. You can't come home ever again. There'll be no dialogue between you and your mom, your dad, your brothers, sisters, cousins. You're dead to them. Recently, I found some interesting information that uh, although they, they're not broadcasting this, they're encouraging their girls to go on Rumspringa and get pregnant. Come back into the Amish community because they will be pregnant with non-Amish babies. It's known as a genetic bottleneck. I mean, where did Cain get his wife anyway? I've seen this in Pentecost. Small groups of people who rejoice in their smallness and they produce pointy-headed kids, pointy-headed preachers. They're mean, they're shallow, they're very narrow in their view of the world. We serve a great God and the great God deserves a great church in the Great Lakes. Great God deserves a great church in the Great Lakes. One church preaching one message to one world. The first time this thing pops up on the radar is 1 Samuel chapter 1. He's a fat preacher and he's blind and he can't preach his way out of a Howard Johnson's bathroom. And a woman comes up to pray and he is so out of tune with what's going on. The Bible said he marked her mouth. Now, if you ever deal with Orthodox rabbis, they say he slapped her face. Others won't go that far, but I've spent time with these rabbis. It doesn't surprise me that they would say that. He slaps this woman's face, possibly, and says, you're drunk. 
what are you doing coming to church being drunk? And she said, I'm not drunk. I want a baby. I want a baby. And she vowed a vow and said, oh Lord of hosts. In the original language, it's Jehovah Sabot. It looks like Sabbath, but it's not Sabbath. It's Jehovah Sabot. It pops up over 80 times in the Bible. Because some time ago, I tried to teach you that the name of the Lord is not just the name of a person. It is also a place. Because the Bible said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and you can run into it and be safe. There's a verse that I feel is a companion to this. It's in 34 of Psalms, verse seven. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. <laughs> the message says this, God's angel sets up a circle of protection around us. It doesn't say that angels camp by us. It says the angel of the Lord surrounds us. <laughs> the subject of angels has always been one of particular interest to me because of several unique experiences I've had in my life. When I was five years old, I was in a very serious auto accident with my mother, my pastor, and his wife. I was the only one that wasn't injured. <clears throat> Tell that to OSHA and all these other safety agencies. I remember going on vacation and sleeping in the back window of the car. No seat belts, no child safety restraints. Nothing. My dad slammed on the brakes and you're over the front I remember my mom and dad buying me a wood burning kit when I was probably 10. It's got a cord about this long and you have to plug it by the curtains and it heats up to this red glow so that you can burn wood. It was great. I remember the first real bow that I got. Me and my pals, Eddie Brady and Jimmy Best would go down to the ball field and I would shoot an arrow straight in the air and we'd play chicken <laughs> to wait and see who could stand there the longest while that arrow's coming down at us. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> you remember lawn darts? About this long, weighed about three pounds. Man, you go to jail for selling them things now. <laughs> I lost my shoe in the car accident. My mother was bloody. She was unconscious. My pastor and his wife, I was convinced my mom was dead. They took me to my grandmother's house. She put me in her big bed. She shut the door. And when she did, this guy was standing by me. He didn't say one word to me. People say, ah, you, you can't remember that. I remember that like it's a movie in my brain. I remember everything about it. And the longer I'm talking with this guy, I'm not afraid anymore. All of a sudden, the door opens up, the guy's gone, and my grandmother said, Harold Eugene, who in the name of God are you talking to? And I said, the man, Grandma. Where'd the man go? She was a praying coal miner's wife, and when she came into that bedroom, she sensed the afterglow of what had been there. She fell on her knees and she crawled over to me and started rubbing my hair. And she said, that was your angel, son. He will be with you for the rest of your life. 
And then she started to cry and she said, Oh, Harold, what's the Lord going to do with you? I remember sitting on her front porch with Life magazine. That was the YouTube of our day. They had a big article about Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. And I'm looking at them faces carved in that cliff and I said, I'm going to go there one day, Grandma. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? I bet you will. So I was preaching in South Dakota and I made friends with this man named Warren who was a full-blooded Aglala Sioux and he liked me. He said, have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? And I said, no. He said, it's just down the road. Come on, I'll take you. So we go there and if you've ever been there's this magnificent sidewalk that your taxes paid for. Beautiful flags everywhere. And Warren doesn't understand. I'm crying because in under my breath, it's like, I made it, Grandma. I made it. I, I, I'm nobody from nowhere. Bible talked about the Lord took David from the sheep coat. Other translation that says it's the back 40 on back 40 acres on the farm. I feel that way. I've always felt that way. I'm just a hillbilly kid. Nobody from nowhere that God put his hand on. It's taken me around the world. And I feel so fortunate and, and humbled, you know, at what the Lord's done. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, Peter's in prison and the church is having a prayer chain, probably like a 24-hour prayer chain. The Lord miraculously delivers Peter from prison and he goes to the prayer meeting, which as near as I can tell was being held in his mother-in-law's house. He knocks on the door and there's this Roman slave girl in there by the name of Rhoda and of course they told her, go get the door. She opens up the door and there's her pastor. And she runs back and she says, pastor's on the porch. And this is what they said. You're mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. And then they said, it's his angel. It's his angel. I had an elder years ago named J.T. Pugh ask me a question. Do you believe in ghosts, Harold? I said, well, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And he said, no, no, no. Dude. What, do you, what do you think about ghost? And I said, well, I guess I really haven't given it much thought. He said, I'll tell you what I think a ghost is. He said, I believe that the Lord assigns you an angel. He said, do you ever notice how people live together 20, 30, 40 years, they start looking like one another? He said, I think when you die, you're gone, but that angel resembles you and that's what people are seeing I guess his good guess was as as good as the next guy that's what my grandmother told me it's your angel son the book of Acts in chapter 27 describes something known as Eurachlodon a storm a very powerful storm You study this planet and the earth spins on its axis. Tilted, I forget, it's like 13 degrees. It's amazing. One degree to the left, we're freezing. One degree to the right, we're like fried like crispy critters. It's amazing how it goes on. A lot of interesting things happens right now. This moon that's going on. You've got eclipse that's coming up. Fascinating stuff. Amazing how much bigger the sun is than the moon and yet God has perfectly positioned them that when the moon gets in front of the sun you can see the corona just the the chances of those distances it's crazy the odds of what's stuff's always fascinated me and so when the when the earth spins basically from right to left it creates something that's known as the Coriolis effect 
For every action, there's an opposite equal reaction. And that's why as the earth spins from the right to the left, weather patterns move from the left to the right. But every now and then, a storm defies this rotation. It's what people in New England call a nor'easter. That instead of that storm front moving from the left to the right, it boomerangs and it goes from the right to the left. This is the translation in the message of Acts 27 and 14. It was what one scripture, King James calls it Eurachlodon, but the message calls it a nor'easter, a very violent storm. My Eurachlodon came in 1977. A very powerful man was poised to end my ministry before it ever began. And he told me, he said, I'm going to tie a tin can to your tail. You're going to drag it for the rest of your life. And I will make it my mission in life to see to it that you never preach in a Pentecostal church. I'd caught him in a lie. He was very embarrassed. And instead of apologizing, he was determined to destroy me. He's dead. I'm still preaching. But it scared me. I was in Texas. There was an old Quonset hut left over from the war that was beside a place where I was going to school. I broke down the door. I went up to the second floor and I found an old dirty room. I pushed the door behind me. Old dusty curtains. Carpet was filthy. I didn't care. I laid on that carpet for almost two days. About three in the morning, I guess I experienced what was known as Shekinah. Shekinah is not in the Bible. It's what rabbis use to describe the glory of the Lord. I, I was laying on that floor. I had cried until I couldn't cry anymore. And I remember seeing those old curtains No windows were open, but those curtains started to move. I was laying there. It was like a rheostat. Something went, and the room just lit up. And I felt this hand on my shoulder. It just covered my head. I am convinced he was there again. My angel coming to comfort me one more time. Bible talks about angels. I've heard people talk about Michael, the archangel. It's not arch, it's arch. There are beings called cherubims. One time in Isaiah 6, it's the only time in the Bible they're called seraphims. It means the ones above. People that are smarter than I'll ever be have divided angels into nine different ranks and they claim the seraphims are the highest ones. (coughs) The ones above. But there is one that I've never ever heard anybody preach about. He's known as the angel of the Lord. When you think of it, any angel could come from the Lord. But is it possible that there is an angel who has the distinction of being known as the angel of the Lord. Because 81 times he keeps popping up in the Bible. The angel of the Lord. This was the being that talked to Abraham. This was the being that says, I just thought it was a bush on fire, but that's not what it says in Exodus 3 and 2. It says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the bush. It's all over the book of Judges. This is the angel that spoke to Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take this woman as your wife. It was also the angel that told them, go to Egypt and get out of here. 
It's the same angel who told him it's time to go back home to Nazareth. In the last chapter of the book of Revelation, it says, and he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must surely be done. Not just any angel. His angel. But there is a compound word that's used to describe the Lord repeatedly in the Bible. Jehovah Sabot. The Lord of hosts. <laughs> I like this from the message. It's 1 Samuel 4 and 4. So the army sent orders to Shiloh and they brought the chest of the covenant of God, the God of the angel armies. <laughs> I like that. I agree with that. John talked about 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 10,000 times 10,000 then multiply it times 2,000 and then multiply it times 2,000 again, you come up with 400 trillion angels. That's a bunch. That's a bunch. I always thought it was fascinating because, and of course, this is a conjecture, you know, but Revelation 12 talks about when Satan fell, he drew a third of the stars with him. And in Revelation 1 and 20, it said, the stars are the angels. So if there's 400 trillion after, after he left, then I, I think heaven's divided into thirds. I think Gabriel gets a third. I think Michael gets a third and I believe Lucifer. I was sitting on a plane a week ago coming back from Memphis. There was these three gentlemen there with me and I just do what I always do. You know, I was just talking to them. <clears throat> I said, where are you going? We're going to sing. We're going to sing up here, said northern part of Kentucky. I said, what kind of songs do you sing? He said, uh, we, uh, we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord. I said, what do, you, what do you think that means when it talks about his tabrets and his pipes? He said, oh, brother, when Lucifer fell, he took the choir with him. And he said, it's why Satan hates worship music so much now. And it's why he twists it so much to affect so many people's lives. See, if, if there, it is divided into thirds. And his tail drew a third of the stars with him. And there's 400 trillion after he left. That means he took 200 trillion with him. You say, oh, that's bull, is that? But listen to what the Bible says. One puts 1,000 to flight. Two puts 10,000. Three does 100,000. Four does a million. Five does 10 million. Six does 100 million. Seven does a billion. Eight does 10 billion. Nine does 100 billion. 10 does a trillion. 11 10 trillion, 12, 100 trillion. Could we get a dirty dozen in this church to bind together in a sense of unity and harmony? Because I think that's what 13 is all about, the baker's dozen. I think that's, remember, there's, you compare Luke and Matthew. There's a place where the Lord said, are not two Two sparrows sold for a farthing. But then you read in another place and he said, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? I didn't understand what that meant. But back then, sparrows were kind of like chicken nuggets. <clears throat> they, they, they were cheap food for poor people. And, and you could buy two birds for a penny. But if you were willing to spend two pennies, they'd throw in a fifth sparrow to sweeten the deal. And Jesus said, 
you are of more value than many sparrows. In other words, in his kingdom, there are no fifth sparrows. A baker's dozen. They'll just throw it in to sweeten the deal, but not to the Lord. Everybody matters. Everybody matters. <laughs> Bible said in the book of Ephesians, every joint supplies what only it can supply. That the body would be edified of itself in love. You know what that means? People say, oh, I can miss church. Nobody even, they, they won't even miss me. Wrong. See, a joint is a connective tissue. It enables you to move and do things. The more joint, I'm not talking marijuana here, man. I'm talking body parts, okay? And the more joints there are, the more you can move and the more pliable and flexible you are. And you see, you think you really don't matter, but that's the lying enemy. You, you supply something to the body of Christ that only you can give. And when you give what only you can give to, it's why Satan, it's why, how would you like to be a devil knowing you backed the wrong horse? They know, they told Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? Why? They know. It's why angel, it's, it's why demons stay together. It's their only hope. And they understand unity much better than we do. But how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like oil, not just any oil, holy anointing oil that was on Aaron's beard and then was on his garments and then his skirts. And it says, as sure as you can plan on dew being on Herman's Mount every morning, you can plan. See, I do my best to prepare and I'll do my best to pray. But, but, but as I've told you for years now, the, the secret to building a church is yay and amen. You, you, you gotta have a preacher in a pulpit saying yes. And you gotta have a congregation saying amen to that yes. I've been in churches where the preachers were all, they were yes, but nobody would amen. I've been in churches where the church was ready to go and the preacher was afraid. But when you get a yes in the pulpit combined with an amen in the pew, that's magic. Because the Bible said in the book of Psalms, just as sure as you can plan on dew being on the top of Herman's Mount every day, there'll be anointing on the priest if the people are together. So it's not just up to me, it's up to you. I gotta preach to a unified house. And if we'll have a unified house, there'll be anointing on the priest every time. You do matter, you know, you do matter. So you come to this house and that's what Isaiah or Isaac said, daddy, we got the wood, we got the knife, uh, we, got, we got the fire, where's the sacrifice? And I was wondering, what do you mean fire? But I, I found this years ago, they had shallow dishes. They found thousands of them, just clay dishes. And they had a lid and a top and they, they always had a fire going at home and they would take a coal from the fire at home. They'd put it in this dish and they would, and it had little holes in it, not enough to combust, but just enough to smolder. So that night when Tom Bodette didn't leave the light on for you and you're sleeping somewhere in the bush, you, 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 I, I joined the Cub Scouts when I was a kid and I still remember them trying to teach me how to build a fire with two sticks and it was just rubbing and I had a Zippo lighter and, and while they're looking boom man Zippo lighters are a whole lot better than sticks <laughs> this is what Isaac is saying we got the knife we got the fire where'd you get the fire the fire came from home See, it's not up to the church. Draylon did wonderful here in the choir and all that. And I love it. And I'll, I'll preach till my belly button falls on the floor. But listen to me. We got to have more than people that want to come to church. And the church is responsible for giving you CPR. <laughs> you got you to gotta bring something from home. And when you bring it into this place, all the Lord has to do is go. the best preacher in the world and you do and you can have the best singers in the world and you do but it's not enough what's going on in your house bring something from home to church I'm trying to show you matter you matter and we're serving this 
listen, here's from the message. I know some people get ticked off at me because I'm not always using King James. I use King James for doctrine, okay? It's strong. But there are other places where the message in the NIV and the Amplified, I, I think they get, this is from the message, okay? It happened that four lepers were sitting just outside the city gate. They said one to another, what are we doing sitting here at death's door? If we enter the famine-struck city of Samaria, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So let's take our chances in the camp of Aram and throw ourselves on their mercy. If they receive us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. But so what? We're going to die anyway. We got nothing to lose. So after the sun went down, they got up and went to the camp of Aram. When they got to the edge of the camp, surprise, not a man in the camp. The master had made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses and a mighty army on the march. And they sold one another. The king of Israel hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. Panicked. They ran for their lives through the darkness, abandoning tents, horses, donkeys, the whole camp, just as it was running for their life. The four lepers entered the camp, went into a tent. First, they ate and drank. Then they grabbed silver and gold and clothing and went off and hid it. Then they came back and entered in another tent, looted it, again hiding their plunder. So here's these four lepers. <laughs> As they're walking, God magnifies their footsteps, terrifies the enemy. When they got there, the, the pot's on the stove, but everybody's gone. So th th there's been a famine for days and days. These guys, I, you know, I just see these four guys around a fire with an empty pot and bloated bellies and they're belching and laughing and they got gold falling out of their pockets and they got all kinds of fancy stuff on them that probably doesn't fit and they've already hid a bunch of other stuff away. And then one of them says, you know what? We're not doing well. What do you mean you're not doing well? We got all this to eat. He said, no, no, our brothers and sisters are back there behind the walls. Let's go back and tell them what we found. And boy, isn't that a great message for a church? We got a lot of nice stuff going on here. But there's a world out there. And if we just sit here in the safety of this building, we're not doing well. I don't care how well you get fed and how great the service is. If what's in this place doesn't get out of this place, we're not doing well. We're not doing well. A Bible scholar, they once asked him, I, I heard Joe Rogan. I listen to Joe Rogan every now and then. He's crude, but he seems to be very transparent in many ways. I, I listened to Joe Rogan talk about something recently about, he said, I, I struggle. He said, I want to believe the Bible, but he said, I'm struggling. How do I know it's real? They asked a very well-known scholar years ago, how do you know the Bible's real? His simple answer was, the Jews. The Jews. That God set aside, read the book of Romans. What advantage does the Jew have chiefly in every way? Because on the point of them were given the oracles of God, the holy things. Think of it. Messiah came through the Jews. Plan of reconciliation came through the Jews. Do what you want. We're grafted into a Jewish root system. Bible said if he didn't regard the original tree, but cut them down and grafted us in their spot, don't you get too full of yourself. Because if he cut down the original tree, he'll get rid of us. If we think we got a hold on this thing and this is ours. And when you study this deal, listen to Deuteronomy 28. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't obey me, I'm going to judge you. Either way, it proves the word of God is accurate. Because he gave them a choice. They chose not to obey. Their history is marked with persecution and oppression. I saw a bumper sticker in New York City driven by a Jewish taxi driver. He said, if we're the chosen people, then please, God, choose somebody else. <laughs> I, I don't know how 
have time to rehearse. I, maybe you've heard of a guy named Ariel Sharon. Ariel Sharon was a tank commander. He went on to become the prime minister of Israel. But I got fascinated with what was known as the Six Day War, 1967. That they're up against the combined armies of Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. Egypt is a big satellite of, of the Soviets. The Soviets have given them planes, the best tanks in the world, much better than anything the United States had. Sharon has got about 30 tanks and he's going towards this group of people. And when they come over the crest of this hill, they are stunned because facing them, <laughs> facing them is a brigade of tanks. A brigade has four battalions. There's 25 tanks in each battalion, meaning there's 100 of the best tanks in the world looking at them. And with the brigade, you've got a minimum of 4,000 infantrymen, soldiers. He said, all I could do is just go forward, knowing it's at least defeat and probably death. But as they're going towards these tanks, to their astonishment, not one of the turrets, the barrels on those tanks moved. There were no exhaust plumes coming out of the tanks. As they're getting closer, they begin to realize these guys are, they must be asleep. But as they got closer, they realized, oh my God, they abandoned every tank. And the guns from the infantrymen are just scattered and littered on the ground. And that brigade commander of the enemy of the Egyptians was captured and Sharon found him and he said you, you, you had us outnumbered what did you leave for and he said the noise he said what he said the noise he said we heard you coming hundreds and hundreds of tanks and pieces of artillery we heard all that I raised her back and said, we, 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 what do we do? And they said, just retreat. And he said, they didn't tell me to blow up the tank. They just told us, get out. So he said, I told all my men, get out. And they climbed out of the tanks and they dropped their guns and they left. And they found these soldiers and they began to talk to them and said, why, why do you, they said, didn't you see what was on the road? They said there were all these soldiers. They were 80 feet tall. They had weapons that were curious that we'd never seen anything like it before. And even to this day, Ariel Sharon says, Jehovah Zebot. That God literally put a wall of soldiers in front of those people. See, too many things go on in church that can be explained. I want things to happen here that nobody can explain. Oh. There's only two storms in the New Testament. There's only two. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Storm is there. They wake him up. He gets on the bow of the boat and he goes, hey! And the wind says, it's the master. Sorry, boss. And the Bible said he rebuked the wind, not the waves. He rebuked, you fix the wind, the waves. Deal with the cause, not with the effect. Get to the root, not the fruit. All right? He gets up on that bow of that boat and he says, peace, be still. And he looks at his men and said, don't be afraid. There's another storm. He's not on the boat. These are professional fishermen. They've been on the sea many times, but they're terrified. And all of a sudden, walking on top of the waves, like a cobblestone street, here comes Jesus. And you know what he says? It's me. It's me. So it does not surprise me. When you get to Matthew 17, the Lord was transfigured. But read what it says. 
They fell on their face like they were dead. They didn't see anything. But years later in Revelation 1, John said, I was on Patmos. Oh, the Alcatraz of his day. And I heard a voice that said, I'm Alpha and I'm Omega. And he said, I turned around and I saw someone like the Son of Man. He knew it was Jesus. But it's unlike any Jesus he's ever seen. Because the last time Jesus lit up, their faces in the ground. But this time he's looking at him. And he said, man, his hair was white. He said his eyes were like fire. It was like he was wrapped in gold and his feet were like molten brass. And he said, this is what the Lord told me. Don't be afraid, it's me. And if I'm preaching to somebody right now that's in a storm, there's only two responses that are biblical to a storm. Don't be afraid, it's me. If you hear anything else, it didn't come from the Lord. The Bible said, try the spirits to see if they're of God. Have you ever been afraid? I've been afraid. I had something a couple years ago. I called it a hat trick. If you ever know about hockey, you know, you got to do three things to have a hat trick. They told me my daughter wouldn't see. They told me my daughter Ashley would be blind. They told me my daughter Brittany had too much scar tissue. We never told her that. Didn't have a heart to tell my girl, you're not going to have any children. My wife had a tumor in her belly and the prognosis was not good at all. They came out of that surgery with my wife, two surgical teams. And when they came out, they didn't talk to me. They're over huddled in the corner. And I'm going, oh shit, this ain't gonna be good, man. That fear just overwhelmed me. All of a sudden, this lady that ran the surgical team, she said, Pastor Hoffman, can I ask you a question, please? Has your wife ever cut her hair? <laughs> and I said, no. Why? She said, well, you know, when the anesthesiologist was hooking her up to the gas, we, we can't have anything in your hair. Your wife had these combs and clips and we took them clips out and her hair just puddled on the floor. And she said, it stopped the surgery. We literally all went there and went, wow, look at that. <laughs> I wanted to talk to her about glory, but I didn't have time. All I could say was, and? And she said, oh, it's okay, it was benign. It wasn't cancerous. And in my mind, this is what the enemy did to me. You're gonna be a widower, and you're gonna be dealing with a handicapped child, and you're ever gonna have any grandkids. But my wife's healthy, and Ashley can see, and I have two granddaughters. Bible said fear has torment. It has torment. And if I'm preaching to somebody here or on that thing right there right now, would you please listen to me? We are serving something that is so superior to anything you can wrap your brain around. Yeah, he probably does have one angel that's his particular favorite, but there's more than that. There are armies, armies of angels, armies of angels. That this is Jehovah Sabot. This is the Lord of hosts. We need him to interrupt. We got a girl in this church that had surgery this week. Chained up in a box when she was four years old. Kept as a slave. Just had a horrible operation two days ago. But she calls this church home. I want this to be a place of remedy for. We got people in this <laughs> We got people that call this church home. And if, if we don't have a divine intervention, we, ah, oh, Jesus, I can't stand this. I'm just saying, dear God, oh, Jesus, I need you to show up and show off. I need you to come into this place. I need you. you think of the ministry of Jesus. Nobody got the Holy Ghost when Jesus was preaching. He baptized his disciples, but that's it. John the Baptist is by the Jordan, not Jesus. You get what I'm saying here? What was the ministry of Jesus? It was eyes seeing that couldn't see, ears hearing that couldn't work anymore, empty beds. I think you could track Jesus through a city. There's an empty bed. There's an empty walker. There's a discarded cane. Hey Amen. There's a cigar box with pencils where the beggar used to be. Think of that, ladies and gentlemen. He comes into Jericho and Bartimaeus, Bar means son of, Timaeus means blind man, which means 
Bartimaeus is second generation blind. And all of a sudden he's saying, Jesus, thou son of David. Read the Bible. There's four times in the New Testament somebody said that. When you said thou son of David, you are doing more than repeating his name. You know his identity. You know this is Messiah. He's saying, Jesus, thou son of David. And the Bible said, would you shut up? And he did what we ought to do. He cried even more. Because the enemy is, is, is not afraid of Jesus' name. He's afraid of the revelation of who Jesus is. And when you understand that he is the mighty God in Christ, now you need to get the revelation of Christ in the church. You need to have the understanding of what's greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Fear's got torment. I'm begging you right now in Jesus' name. Come with me, worship him. Come with me around this altar. Don't be quiet. Come, come clapping. Amen. Come clapping. Come lifting up your voice. There are things in this room right now that have to be addressed. We can't just keep having church and say, go home and let's meet the Baptist to the cafeteria. We need the Lord to show up and to do that which only he can do. You get healing. Hey, there, we have an apostolic church in Clawson. They baptized a man just recently. He couldn't see but when he came out of the water, he could see. That's, that's going all over the country. You don't need Facebook if you can have healing. Paul didn't have Facebook. Jesus didn't have, you know, Twitter. You get healing going on, people start telling one another. Why don't you come down there to church? I don't, I don't like that. Well, why don't you just come to church? I'm not asking you to join the thing. I'm asking you to bring your problems to church. And let's just take this thing out for a drive. And let's see if we're telling the truth or we're a bunch of liars living in deception. Is he a healer or not? By his stripes, we are healed. That's what it says. Hallelujah. You think you know what's around this altar right now? You might not know. So just with that possibility, if it's appropriate, put your hand on someone by you. Gentlemen, put your hand on another man. Lady, put your hand on another sister right now. And if you ever get anointed, get anointed, okay? Wait, let's see. Can you, can, can you pray for somebody else's children as much as you pray for your own? Can, can you get burdened for somebody else's marriage as much as you are for your own? Can you believe for somebody else's healing as much as we ask God? The Bible said God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Praise God. Lord Jesus, this is my brother and my sister. I'm asking you right now, Lord, flow through me. Your word says freely we have received, freely we give away. So I ask you, Lord, to let me be a conduit in a vessel. Flow through me right now into my brother. Thing, that God 